Welcome to The Well Podcast, where we post the audio messages for our Sunday sermons. For more information about us and how to get further connected, feel free to visit our website at thewellaustin.com. Good morning. My name is Tim Campbell, and I am a Covenant community member here at The Well. I also serve as one of the CG shepherds of the Highland CG. Let's go, let's go. Today I will be reading from Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 through 33. Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way away from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased and those in the boat worshiped him saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. This is the word of the Lord. All right. What up, y'all? How are we? Come on. Um, I don't even have a cool or a cute little intro. I'm just really glad to be here, y'all. I'm really glad to be here. Glad to be on Eastside again. Glad to be on the mornings again. I know for some of y'all, 10, 30 a.m. feels like 6 a.m. because you got used to that 2 and 4. All right. But don't worry, today when you're home for six hours and you're like, dog, it's still not even dinner time yet, you're going to be ready to serve on the setup team. You're going to be so happy, all right? And so it is good to be here. Hey, listen, uh, I genuinely, like I genuinely think that God is going to do some really cool things here on the east side, like some phenomenal stuff that we're going to get to be able to be a part of and that we're going to get to be able to witness and to see. And so there's a ton of hope that we have. There's a lot of prayers that we have been praying. Uh, I'm not going to go through everything I said yesterday at the Volunteer Collective, but like there's just a lot of things that I feel like God is moving in some substantial ways. There's a ton of vision that I really can't wait to really share with you all about what I feel like the Lord is doing at the well, because I feel like he's turning a page again in some ways that uh, as we're in this replanting process, which you've heard us talking about, I'm really excited to journey with this through uh, with you all. So uh, that said, I would actually really just love to open our time today, just sitting under God's word and just receiving from the Lord. And rather than like shifting a series because it's our first Sunday here or doing something different, like like I just want to like meditate on where we've been and what God is doing in and through his word and just rejoicing at God together in the scriptures. Cool? We ready? All right. Uh, So I actually think this is really timely for us as we journey through this anyway. Like what a great passage to land on with this Sunday. So let's chop it up. If you've been with us, we've been in our Uniquely Jesus sermon series where we're looking at Matthew, Mark, and Luke and finding the unique stories that only one of those authors share. Now, in irony, this story is actually shared in three out of the four gospel accounts. And so this story isn't unique, okay? Okay. 
And so you may be like, oh, why are we doing it then? Uh, well, this is actually Matthew's version. And Matthew's version is the only version where we see Peter actually stepping out of the boat and walking on water with Jesus as well. So all the other uh, stories, we only see Jesus walking. But what makes this one unique is we see Peter walking. And Matthew likely extends this story, zooms in on it, shows us Peter walking, because it's actually the fulfillment of all of these Old Testament scriptures, which we'll talk about at the end of the sermon today. But Matthew loves showing how Jesus is the fulfillment of everything in the Old Testament, of all of this hope and all of these plans and all of these promises that Christ has indeed come to fulfill each of those things. And so this is the promised Messiah. And Matthew is likely trying to show us this. And so as we dive in, I, I just want us to begin to think about like, like here is the promised Messiah. And because he is who Jesus says he is, the Messiah to come, like what does that mean for us? Why is Peter walking on water significant? How do we apply that into our lives? Okay. And so first of all, you'll notice there in verse 22 at the beginning that Jesus made his disciples get into this boat. Now we can assume because of the way that Matthew uses this language that Jesus knew exactly what was about to happen and he intentionally allowed the disciples to experience the trial that was about to come. Like Jesus knew that the storm was coming and he intentionally put his disciples in the midst of that storm. And so not all trials are from the enemy, friend. Right? Like, like sometimes it is the sovereign will of God so that you might grow in your faith or so that you might see clearly who the Lord is. Now, sometimes our trial is the enemy. We actually see that in the very next story in Matthew. But sometimes these trials are actually God's design, which we'll talk about a little bit more in a second. But these disciples, they saw the miracle of God and they realized the person of God. They saw God more clearly because of the trial that they experienced. And the gift of seeing God more clearly is always worth the expense of the trial that we experience, y'all. It's always worth it because Jesus knew this was going to happen. He allowed his disciples to go through this and then they saw him. Jesus does this in our life at times as well. And so they got into the boat and then Jesus goes up onto the mountain and prays. So they finna drown and Jesus is up there chilling, praying, right? Now the context of verse 24, the, the Greek word there for that word beaten, every other time that that word is used, it's actually translated as the word torture, Matthew uses this for what demons often do to humans or what Christ will do to demons one day. We will torture them. And so this is a wild, wild storm. The, the waves, they're not just like beating the boat, they're torturing the boat is what the word is there. Also in verse 25, which I know if you're in the back, this might get a little bit hard to read, okay? And so if you have bad vision, get here earlier, sit closer. But also we're going to be installing stuff in March. And so we'll have screens and stuff like that. But we're going to be setting up a little bit for the next five months. All right. Um, but uh, Jesus, right, torturing the boat. And then it says there's the fourth watch of the night. The fourth watch of the night is between 3 p.m. or 3 a.m. and 6 a.m., meaning the disciples were in the boat for six hours or more while Jesus was up on the mountaintop praying now, I'm not sure what it's like to be stranded in the middle of a boat in the middle of a storm because, you know, black people don't put themselves in situations like that. <laughs> Amen. All right. 
but I gotta imagine that six hours in a storm, like it feels like six months of thinking you're gonna die, right? And sometimes your storms, though they're only a few months long, they feel like they're a few years long and you begin to wonder if Jesus actually cares. Like six hours of tormenting waves probably feels like a really long time. And six months of tormenting seasons, even though it's only a short amount of time, it probably feels like a long time, family. And you can begin to wonder, does God actually care about me? Suffering has a way of making short seasons feel like long journeys. And it's easy for us to then begin to question, does God really care about me? When in reality, God may be on the mountain or on the throne praying for you and his prayers are the very reason why you're not drowning in the storm in the first place. And yet it's easy for us to still question, is God there and does he care? It's easy to make God feel distant in the midst of suffering, but he does care, family. And the cross of Christ is not only the greatest example of this, but even in this story and even in our life, what we tend to find is that Jesus actually comes and meets us, not above and try to draw us up. He comes into the storm and meets us right in the middle of our chaos, y'all. We just have to have eyes to see him. Notice verse 25, it says, Jesus came to them, right? Jesus went in the chaos to meet with them. Jesus, beautiful family, comes right in the midst of your chaos if we would look for him. In fact, he's often seen standing above the chaos, yet in the chaos, and trying to lift us above the chaos as well, if we would see him. And so Jesus comes in the storm, and then the disciples are terrified. These cats say, ah, it's Casper, right? Jesus then says, hey, take heart which is a great phrase we don't have time for this morning, but you can in your CGs or in your devotional time, look at that phrase, take heart. It's a really important phrase, okay? And then he says, it is I or ego ami, okay? That's the Greek word that's translated I am all the way throughout the Old Testament. This is Yahweh or the covenant name of God. Jesus comes and says, take heart, I am, and then Peter believes, There's so much here that we don't even have time for this morning, but when God speaks his name or his character over you and over your trials, no matter how chaotic the trial, do you believe in him, family? When you hear the name of God, when we sing these songs, when we read the scripture, when God says, I am, do you believe? Do you realize that God is who he says he is? Do you believe that if God is around in your life, then everything is gonna actually be okay in the end? You may feel like you're going to drown. You may feel like the waves are tormenting. You may feel like it's really hard, but at the end of the day, God is who he says he is. And if that is true, which it is, then you will be okay, beloved. God is going to save you. And so here's where the meat of the story really comes in, okay? The disciples, they're in this trial, they're in this storm. And I don't know if in your life right now, you happen to find yourself in a trial, or in some sort of storm, okay? And if you're not, if things are great, you know that a trial will come. We live in the world, y'all, right? And the world is broken, which means at some point there's going to be broken shards of glass around us that cut us up. And so suffering is either here or it is coming. And so what does this story tell us about the trials of our life when we find ourselves in them? And I want you to actually begin to think about like what what trial right now, like right now, are you going through? 
What do you find that seems to be these tormenting waves around you? And what does this story tell us about that? Okay, now verse 28, here's what begins to happen. In the midst of this trial, here comes our homie Peter, right? Who's just kind of randomly like, yo, Lord, if it's you, tell me to get out. What a random request, right? Like, do you have that friend or that person in CG who just be praying like random, absurd things? You know, Huli is that person in my life. <laughs> She'd just be like, God, make him suffer if it means he'll know you more. I'm like, dog, chill out, yo. <laughs> All right, what's your random tale? Okay, so Peter asked for something random. And then Jesus is like, yeah, come. Okay, and then homie is walking on water. Y'all, come on now, okay? Like, I know that you know this story, but don't allow familiarity to be the thief of amazement and awe. Okay, Peter is walking on water because he asked for it. Like, this is crazy, okay? Now, there's a ton of truth to be mined even in him walking, but then in verse 30, we see the meat of this. He sees the winds, is what it says, and he begins to sink. All of a sudden, he turns into a minority who don't know how to swim, and then he asks for salvation, right? Now, family, listen, okay? This is cliche when you're walking through this text. I get it. But just because it's cliche doesn't mean that there isn't good truth to be believed from it. Peter took his eyes off of Jesus and placed them on his surroundings, and this is when he began to die. Y'all, gosh, it is so easy to take your eyes off of the Messiah, to take your eyes off of his power or off of his goodness or off of his calling on your life or off of his kindness or off of him. It's easy to take your eyes off of Jesus and place them on your surroundings and on your trials and on your suffering situations and on the torturous waves that are splashing against you and you begin to sink in the faith. This wasn't supposed to be a sermon series about keeping our eyes on Jesus, but that's what almost every single individual sermon has turned into, right? It's like, it's like it's the message of Christ throughout the gospels is to keep our eyes on Christ. Y'all, there's always going to be chaos around us because we live in the world. And at times that chaos is going to splash against us and it is going to scare us. But if you keep your eyes on Jesus, if the eyes of your soul are not on the winds and the waves around you, but on the word of life that is over you, you're going to see miracles, you will be a part of miracles, and your faith won't sink in the end, friends. Not only will your faith not sink, you'll actually stand above the chaos and the trials, and you'll see God work miraculous things in your life and in your heart. If you keep your eyes on Jesus, there's a lot to unpack there in that thought. Okay, so, so sojourn with me here for a moment. Uh, Peter is drowning because he sees the wind, which you can't even see, right? Meaning he was scared of something that he couldn't see. Hello. Ain't that often true in your life? <laughs> scared of things that you can't even see, right? You don't even know what's going to happen, but, but you have this fear of things that could be. And so the sight of the wind scares us because we don't set our eyes on the wonderful counselor right in front of us. And so he asks for salvation here, and then Jesus saves him and asks, why do you have little faith? 
And if we're not careful, we will read this saying, O ye of little faith here, we'll read it completely incorrectly, and we'll miss the entire point of the story. Uh, Peter's faith obviously wasn't little because homie stepped out of the boat in the midst of a torturous windstorm. Like, what is little about that? You and I are going to step out that boat, right? Like, and yet, I believe that what we'll do is if we'll misread this, then we'll begin to think that we don't have enough faith in our trials and that somehow if we just try hard enough and if we just muster up more willpower in our life and if we believe that Jesus is who he says he is, then we won't sink in the storm and we'll be able to endure trials. And so we try to muster up this faith inside of us and we begin to preach something to our souls that says, have more faith. Why don't you believe in Jesus? Believe deeper, uh, do more, try harder, work stronger. And all of a sudden we're preaching a works-based gospel, which is an anti-gospel into our souls. What matters, beloved, is not the measure of your faith, but the object of your faith. Peter's faith was little, because he took his eyes off of Jesus. Listen, your faith is only as strong as the object of your faith is strong. And so if the focus or the object of your faith is on your circumstances, is on the wind, of course you're gonna sink, family. The circumstances are shaky. They are chaotic. They are the storm. How can a storm deliver you? If your faith is focused on anything or anyone other than Christ, then it doesn't matter how much faith you have, you will end up falling because that thing can't hold you, family. And so Peter's faith and your faith, it isn't weak because somehow you need to muster up more faith. Your faith is weak when you look to the wrong things because those things can't hold you. But if you keep your eyes peeled, if you keep them locked, fixated on Jesus, then family, you will do miracles even in the midst of the storm, y'all. You tracking with this? Object of our faith, right? Uh, for you visual learners, I have something today. It's our first Sunday, so I had to bring out a little visual, right? What's in this box? Paul's going to get scared. He literally said, uh-oh, okay? Here's, think about it like this, y'all. Last time I spilled rice all over the place, Hilly was like, ah! <laughs> you don't sound like that, my bad. <laughs> object, object of our faith, right? I don't care how much I believe in this box, right? Like, like I can try really, really, really hard to muster up all of this faith and to like really believe and to say, hey, hey, like I believe that this box is going to hold me and I can believe it and I can strive for it and I can say, Tori, just, just have more faith. Just, just believe a little bit more. Just, just try a little bit harder and I can believe and I can believe and I can believe, but no matter how much I believe, <laughs> this box is not meant to hold me, y'all. That wasn't the design of it. But if you go to something that was made for the thing that I just tried to do to that box sitting, if all of a sudden, 
Even if I'm kind of like, yo, this chair is kind of small. I'm 6'4", 205, right? <laughs> right? Like, will it hold, right? And even if I'm scared of it, it's like, man, I can plop down. I can sit down silently, but this thing is going to hold me. Nothing else is designed to hold you, family. Only, only Christ. The designer of you is strong enough to be able to hold you in the midst of trials. So it doesn't matter how much you believe, right? If you just muster and muster and muster, if that thing isn't meant to hold you, it will not. And we put our faith in ourselves and in our works and in everything but the designer, y'all. We need to keep our eyes peeled on Jesus. Focus, gaze, fix our eyes on him. Your faith is only as strong as the object of your faith is strong. But if you have faith in God, you serve somebody who is a strong fortress and a mighty tower. I want your souls to behold, like, like to fix your eyes on Jesus, family. Like to literally behold him. Like, like to have experiences with the God of the universe. Like, like this personal God that we are able to know. Like I hope that already this morning you experienced him a little bit. And it reminded you that God is able to carry you in the midst of storms. This should be encouraging for a lot of us because it isn't the amount of faith that you have. A lot of us actually have really good faith. I saw that yesterday at the Volunteer Collective, all these people showing up on Saturday. Like, like there's faith in that, y'all. It's where we're allowing that faith to terminate or to end. That's where we get tricked. We see the winds and we scream. And we miss both the miracles of God and God himself. We must keep our eyes on God and the trials of our life, family. And listen, like I said at the start, Jesus has a reason for allowing these tormenting waves to run up on the boat of your life. Notice how this verse ends, this story ends, verse 33. Jesus gets into the boat and the disciples worship him as the son of God. Now, the interesting thing here is that this is the first time that Jesus or the disciples actually addressed Jesus as the son of God. The father calls him the son in Matthew 3, 17. The demons call him the son of God in Matthew chapter 8, 29. So the demons realize that Jesus is who he says he is six chapters before the disciples even do. And yet finally, now the disciples see him as God. So it took a storm that was not calmed to allow them to see who God truly was. That moved them to the point of worship. And he may be allowing a storm not calmed in your life so that you would see who he truly is, family. So that you would actually worship. So that he can stop you from sitting on things that cannot hold you and releasing them and drawing them to himself. Because even though the trials are hard and they're scary, and they are, beloved, like they can be tough at times, yet I promise that no amount of suffering will ever be enough. Is it like, like they, they won't measure up, right? Like all of the present suffering are not worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed in us. If that suffering points us to Jesus, then no amount of suffering is ever too much for us to actually get the Messiah. It is worth us receiving him. 
Here's the interesting thing here, right? Jesus is really clearly displaying himself as God. I won't go through all the Old Testament echoes in this passage, but Jesus is showing himself as God by walking on the water. That's prophesied in the book of Job. He's showing himself that as God because he's talking as God. He's extending his hand. He's saving from the chaotic waters. He's calming the storm. He's calling himself the I am, like Jesus is God. In fact, the disciples see a ghost hovering over the waters, which is, sounds a lot like Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, where the ghost or the spirit is hovering over the chaotic waters. And yet, God who from Genesis chapter one, verse two, has always hovered over the chaotic waters just a few years after this incident would end up dying in them. Jesus fell into the waters and asked for salvation, but that salvation did not come, family. When Jesus said, God, if there is any other way, let this cup pass, but not my will, but your will be done. His eyes were fixed on the Father. They were fixed on God. He was our example, but also God did not deliver him. That cup did not pass. Jesus drank the waters, the chaos, the wrath of God. Every single time in the gospel, where in the gospels, where it says Jesus reached out or stretched out his hand, it's this sign, it's this language that the authors use, which means he performed a miracle. He did something miraculous. And he does here too. He saves Peter out of the troubling waters. And just a few years later, Jesus would stretch out his hands again on that cross and bring a much greater salvation than some drowning waters. He would save us from the greatest chaotic storm that would ever be upon humanity, the storm of sin and of death. And as his hands were stretched and as those nails were driven into his hands, he purchased your eternal deliverance, saints. And as Peter cried out, Lord, save me. So that will be the cry for every single human that exists. But anybody who calls out to God, Lord, save me. Immediately, God is there to save you. Friends, do you hear this gospel truth? Do you believe this in your heart? His hand was stretched out for you so that you might be saved whenever his hand is also stretched out to you. And here's the beautiful thing. His hand is stretched out to you today, family. That's what the scriptures say. Listen, I I know that these smaller storms and trials are in our life right now or will come upon our life. But if he's already saved you from the chaos of sin and death, will he also not save you from this trial too? Is he not using this storm to show you more of himself? or to transform you more and more into the image of God. If that is the reality, which we see all throughout the scriptures, then let me implore you to strive, strive, strive. Work it into your souls to reorient your eyes and to fix them on Jesus, family, in the midst of these troubled waters. He is not going to let you drown if you look to him. And so can I give you a couple of really quick practicals to take away from this text? How do we apply this? First of all, you see it there. Keep your eyes on Jesus in the midst of storms. When you're going through a trial, let your first thought be, Jesus, what are you doing in this? Where are you at in this? Christ, where are you? Like, I want to come out of the boat. I want to come to you as well. 
Reorient your eyes on Jesus. How do I keep my eyes on Christ? If you can ask that, I promise you, you'll walk on some waters, y'all. Secondly, family, I want us to realize that Peter's individual faith actually helped increase the faith of all of the disciples. Like, Like they worshiped Christ as God in verse 33 because they saw him clearly. And this was in part because of Peter's faith. He's the one that stepped out of the boat. And so know that your endurance in the gospel, that you're gazing on Christ in the midst of challenges, and even when you fail, if you call out to God to save you, that as your eyes are on Jesus, it will actually begin to strengthen your brothers and your sisters in Christ. And that is worth the endure, beloved. I need to see you endure in storms and trials because it reminds me God is good and I can endure in mine as well. And as we do that, we cling fast to Jesus. So do not lose heart. God is using you, if you would see him, to strengthen your brothers and sisters. Thirdly and lastly, uh, corporately, y'all, I really deeply believe that God is going to do significant and beautiful work here at Eastside, like, like significant, okay? Um, multiple people on our team feel this. I've had several people give me like prophetic words about this season already. Even yesterday at the end of Volunteer Collective, there's a story I can't even share just yet, but it's like, like God was like moving in just some really awesome ways. And I think there'll be a new season, like, like a refreshing season, honestly, like, like a fun season, a season of life in some ways. I think we'll see miracles here, right? Like, like Peter walking on water sort of things in this season. But I also want us to remember the winds and the waves are still going to come, y'all. Like no matter what God is doing, no matter how many miracles, like, like they're still going to come. In fact, the more that we see, the more those winds and waves might come. And friends, in your unique stories, I believe that God is going to call some of us to do things that feel dangerous, that feel scary, that feel like almost impossible to endure, to reconcile with family, to go into ministry, to move into different seasons of life, that we would be more bold with our faith, that we might share with coworkers, to pray certain things over individuals. I I don't know what it might be. But if we look to the winds and the waves around us, the only thing that's going to happen is we're going to be quickly reminded we ain't God. And because we're not God, we need to remember, point one, fix our eyes on God. But as we trust Jesus, even the things that seem absurd, y'all, I believe that you might be walking into things that seem unimaginable, like walking on the water. And so believe in miracles. I know that sounds crazy, right? But so does somebody walking on water. Is this true or is it not true? This happened, y'all. This is a real life story. This isn't a parable, right? Like like this actually happened. And I believe that God wants to bring healing into our lives. And I believe that God wants to use us in beautiful ways and work through us to bless other people. I think about all the things that God has been doing in each of us. And you've already seen so many miracles happening in y'all's lives. Like you're stepping out of the boats in faith and you're keeping your eyes on God. And this is going to change people's lives, y'all. Like I've seen it, right? Like some of y'all have been with the well for like five, six, seven, eight years. Like, like I've gotten to see, like, like you are enduring and you are believing and you're seeing God do beautiful things. Don't forget to look to God for the miraculous either. Remember that your marriage should be in shambles, but for some reason, the Holy Spirit and his power allowed you to fix your eyes on Jesus, go through a trial, and now you're actually having an enduring marriage because you kept your eyes on Christ. That's a miracle, y'all. Unless you don't look at the world around us where most of this doesn't last, 
right? Like, like I think about individuals, like, like people stepping out of the boats, right? Like the gritties, y'all have stepped out of the boat, y'all. The newels are in the process. You're stepping out of the boats in some phenomenal ways. Like Sydney, Mac, I saw y'all earlier, stepping out of the boats. The college prayer team. Uh, prayer often precedes miracles. We see that in this very story. You better believe that things are going to happen. You're stepping out of the boat in a lot of ways. Caroline, stepping out of the boat. Chapa, Antonio, bros, you are stepping out of the boat. And I could go on and on and on. But as you do this, recognize the waves are going to come that much more when you step out the boat. There was a little bit of safety in the boat. Peter chose a little bit more faith and got hit with it that much more. And maybe it's because you're stepping out of the boat that you feel that much more waves against you. You feel more torture against you. You feel like the enemy is crushing in. It's because you're doing something for the kingdom of God, beloved. There is more pressure when you step out and the more you try to lead by faith, the more you'll feel that tormenting waves around you. Fix your eyes on Jesus, family. And if your eyes are fixed on Jesus, you will walk right through that storm and you will see him more clearly, worship him more fully, and you will be transformed into the image of Christ, family. Amen? There's like 80 more things I want to say. All right, but it's the first Sunday, although the food trucks ain't coming today, so... I could stay, close it, okay, I'm closing it. <laughs> um, I love you all, okay? Let's keep our eyes on Jesus and look to him in the waves, amen? amen? I love you guys like crazy, let's pray. Father, I ask for many things right now. One, with all of the saints that are in this room, I just ask that you would anoint this facility, Father. Let your word be preached here. Let your word be sung here. Let you, the word of God, be experienced here, God. Transform our hearts. Do miracles in our lives. Allow us to see you, please, Father God. God, no amount of strong preaching, no amount of deep singing, no amount of holy conviction, like nothing is going to allow us to see you unless we fix our eyes on you. Let us look to you, Jesus. Would you anoint this facility because we, our eyes are on you. Let us not exalt the things of the well or our own gifts or works or whatever it might be. Let us fix our eyes on you, Jesus. God, would you permeate this building even to where the students and the faculty, they start to love you because of us, because of your presence here. Let us see miraculous things. The move of you, God. Let us be a part of changing eternity. God, I pray for each individual in this room. I pray that where they may be drowning in the midst of trial right now, I pray that they would call out to you and fix their eyes on you, Jesus. That they would know that you are a God who delights in saving us who delights in delivering us, who delights, like, like it is your desire to save, to lift us up again. God, I think about Peter, just a year after this, he, he would kind of drown again as he denied you. 
And yet once again, as he came back to you, you restored him again. So it doesn't even matter how many times we, we miss and we start shifting our eyes. You desire to pull our eyes back to you over and over again. God, I pray that each individual in this room would strive and learn not to work harder to build some random faith, but to have their eyes fixed on you. Would you bless us with that, Holy Father? Would we see you? Would we see you? Would we see you, Jesus? God, I pray that today friends in this room would turn into family, that people came in, that you did not know who God was, that you're in the midst of trial. I want you to know God wants to be your God. There can be relationship with the God of the universe. If you would call out to him, Jesus, save me, he will. And God, for each of us who have made that call, Christ, save me, would you save us over and over and over and over and over and over again? Eyes locked, fixed on you forever, Jesus. Let the eyes of the well, all of us who make this church what it is, would our eyes be fixed on you forever, Jesus? Would we see you? Would you be exalted? Nothing else, nothing else, Christ. You exalted, Jesus. Gosh, do a sacred work, God. Do a sacred work in us individually and us corporately that we might see truly you are the son of God. We pray these things in your blessed name, Jesus. Amen. Hey, everybody. Thanks so much for listening. If you want more information about us or how to get further connected, please visit our website, thewellaustin.com.